This is episode 28 of Extraordinary Women Radio. Welcome to Extraordinary Women Radio. I am your host, Cami Gellner. Women are being called to live with voice, vitality, and vigor. Each month, join me for wisdom-filled interviews with extraordinary women living out loud and making a difference in our world. Their stories will uplift, inspire, and spark your own purpose-driven journey. Welcome, welcome, my Extraordinary Women friends. Today's Extraordinary Women radio interview is with Claudia Shevadino, the CEO of America's for the luxury fashion brand, Bally, where she oversees all of Bally's business functions in U.S., Canada, and South America from her Manhattan office. She has held senior executive roles at Prada Spa, Coach, and Yves Saint Laurent. Claudia has led a long, successful career in a world of big fashion brands. I had the good fortune of meeting Claudia at a Shambhala retreat in the beautiful mountains of Colorado several years ago. In one of the breakout sessions, we were invited to pair up with someone we didn't know and to go on a walking, talking meditation. I think the universe tapped us both on the shoulder that day and whispered, go walk with her. As Claudia and I had a beautiful, memorable conversation as we walked down the windy path to the great stupa together, sharing our hearts and sharing our stories, one we both remember even all these years later. And I love this interview. We talk about women CEOs and leadership and what it takes to break the glass ceiling. What Claudia shares is brilliant. And while she attributes her success to perseverance as it any male CEO might, she puts even more emphasis on something that may surprise you, mastery of self, to leading with great awareness, to stillness, to the openness of exploration. For her, it's never been about power over others. Instead, it's about doing her own deep inner work and letting it flow from a deep grounded space within. Now, this is the kind of leadership that I love to write about, to talk about, and I am so passionate about the kind of leadership that I believe is going to change the world and the companies in which we work. I believe that this is an evolving style of leadership, that women leaders are being called to step up and lead with all of their beautiful feminine essence of internal knowing all their female essence, making space for that softer, knowing, intuitive side of us to rise up. And let me be clear, there's nothing weak about the softer, knowing, intuitive side of us. It is the inner strength that has always been there and just needed to be set free. It's yen rising, baby. And an important part of the story is that Claudia's results speak for themselves. She outperforms every market around the world, and she'll share more about that in the interview. Claudia's rich wisdom will have you on the edge of your seat. Let's meet Claudia Shivadino. Well, welcome, Claudia. I'm so thrilled to have you today. Thank you, Carrie. I'm thrilled to be with you. Oh, and it was so fun to meet you all those years ago. I don't even remember how many years ago that was, but um, we were, I was always felt really fortunate to get to meet you on that, that walking chat that we got to have. I think they called it a, a walking, talking meditation or something along those lines. Isn't that fun? Yeah, it, that experience really stayed with me, and you stayed with me. So when you reached out to me, I was really touched. 
Oh, thank you, Claudia. Thank you. So I want to talk a little bit about you being in the role of CEO of Valley. And, you know, in the U.S., there are more CEOs named John than there are women CEOs. And same thing with the name David. I mean, I saw that's it's just such a crazy statistic. And I saw a st another st statistic just yesterday that showed that only 4.8% of U.S. CEOs are women. So you clearly have broken that glass ceiling that many women have not broken yet. And I'm saying yet, because I think there's, there's lots of opportunity for women to be able to really step into this and for us to be changing this, this statistic. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to CEO of Valley? Um, my journey has, has been a very um, hard fought one mm -hmm. candidly. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been full of, full of uh, its own ups and downs. I'm sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, yeah. And, I, and I hear that a lot from women who have really, you know, broken those barriers that it's not an easy thing. It's, it's, it's something you've got to really have the grit to get through. You know, I think that, I think that women understand what it feels like to start at zero every day. It's mm -hmm. like, you brush your teeth every day, you pull on your boots every day, and you start at zero, which is not something I think I share with my male counterparts. Mm -hmm. um, I think that I, I over-prepare. I, over, I have to overreach. Um, so still to this day, in this time that we live in, women are still experiencing those things. And I think that part of it is driven by the exterior culture and part of it is just driven by uh, what it means to be a woman inside of your heart and mind. Could you and, touch on uh, both, both sides of that? You know, start with the, the external part of it, but then let's go on, on back and then let's move to the internal part because I think that's really fascinating. So what is it about the external world that makes you have to start from ground zero every day? Well, I will just say that, um, you know, people can equate the title of CEO with a notion of power. Mm -hmm. right? And I think that um, for me personally, it's never been about power over others. Mm -hmm. It has been purely about a mastery of myself. Mm, and, I like that. And these are two very different motivations. Yes. Um, and so if I, if I were to approach my career um, with an ambition to have power over others, I would fundamentally behave differently. Mm -hmm. And it would, be, it would be candidly a much more ego-driven journey. But that has never, it's never been enough fuel in my gas tank. Mm -hmm. It has mm -hmm. never been sustaining enough to come from that place. Mm -hmm. And I think that it, that's true for many women. I would uh, agree with that totally. Yeah. And so it's, be, it's because we have to, it has to feel more organic or we have to come at it from a deeper place. I think that that also, uh, it presents it presents a challenge, if you will. It presents something that needs to be overcome. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, so that's what I mean by I, I wake up at zero every day because I've got to dig deep to find that, that mastery of self peace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't wake up and I think I'm going to conquer the world today because that's what I'm built to do. <laughs> right, right, right. No, it's, it's, it's more about this internal... Um, building your internal strength up and building the resiliency up within you. Yeah. What, what works for you? What, what are some of the things and practices that you do that, that light that fire within? Uh, You know, it's, uh, it, it is really about doing the inner work. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I have to stay always in touch with what does it mean to be in mastery of myself right now Mm -hmm. what does that look like and what does that mean that i show up as so how do i show up to a regular day at the office and how do i show up to a board meeting Mm -hmm. and how do i show up in the fullness of of who i am and what my own potential is Mm -hmm. so you know in order to in order to um to find that place you have to find a level of stillness that each of us requires and it's different for each of us. Mm-hmm. For me, I have to find a place of stillness so that I can even touch that place because the world we live in can, um, can very quickly just push us into our personality, into our ego, into being very outward and, and, can it can feel like a challenge to sift through all the noise to go still mm-hmm. and deep. Mm-hmm. And in my own experience, you know, uh, it's actually the capacity to do that that drives the biggest difference for me in terms of the quality of my life, the quality of how I lead, and the quality of the results I obtain. By right. the way, right? Uh, yeah, you know those things are. That is not disconnected. Yeah, so it, it flows through everything. Is there um, is there a word that you might a, a descriptor word that you might apply to this this flow that you're creating, um, this energy that you're creating, and you know throughout all these different um, you know from your internal world to you know the change that you're driving. Is there a word that you could apply to that 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 describes what your the energy of it? It's uh, I would say the thing that comes to mind is it's it's an exploration. Mm. Uh, it's an exploration because I learn new things about myself all the time. I show up in ways that even surprise me sometimes. Mm. Uh, it's an exploration also from a standpoint of when I show when I show up in the fullness of me, I'm amazed at how others show up in front of me and in the context of driving a business and leading an organization um i will tell you that as i have gained confidence in leading from the fullness of who i am um i drive i drive a more engaged team and a higher performing business and not by a small margin. It's mm. amazing the difference that it makes really to the top and the bottom line. 
that's fantastic. That's really fantastic. And that's, and there's just so much um, wisdom and being able to, to one, feel that experience it. And then to be able to see the results that you're delivering is to me, that feels like that's such an important part, an important conversation for our times right now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because I think that we have to, if we're talking about female CEOs, Mm -hmm. I think we have to talk about, um, yes, of course, what's that journey? How did they get there? How do they sustain that place? Um, What are the challenges and the opportunities? But we also really have to talk about what are the results that are being driven. Because at the end of the day, I sit in this seat to the extent that I deliver an outstanding result. And, and the day I don't do that is the day that that is at risk, right? And that's true for us, whether we're, whatever gender we are. Exactly. Um, but I think that what helps us to move the conversation along about female leadership is, so what are the qualitative and quantitative differences of how we lead and and what kind of results that leadership gets. Yes. You know, and I love this conversation. It's something that I've been exploring a lot in my writing and that as women, I think, you know, early on, I mean, I think back to my, cor- my, my, my corporate career executive days several years, many years ago. I mean, it's, I've been out of the corporate world for 10 years now. Um, but, you know, th- I was in the corporate world for probably 20 plus years and, very often women had to shape shift themselves into being like our male counterparts. And I believe that, you know, early on that perhaps needed to be, that needed to happen. But what I'm seeing evolving right now, I'm really excited about is this evolution of, of women leaders really stepping into all of their gifts of being women. And this is exactly what you're talking about. And it's not, it is not just women. I mean, I think, I think there's very, there's a lot of men who are also tapping into some of these same qualities. These, um, if you want to say the yin, the yang, the, the, um, you know, the, the, the masculine, the feminine, we all have that within ourselves. And what you're describing here is this ability to really be able to go deep and feel and, and bring that best of us. And when you were talking about the word exploration, what I love is, is the openness of that and the curiosity in that and how you really addressed, how you're really bringing out the best in every person from a different perspective. So I think it's really exciting to see leaders like you doing what you're doing and leading in a different way than that, you know, the, the old straight lines and, um, with, with the deeper knowing. So I really respect that. Yeah. I think that, uh, I think also the younger generations of employees, uh, are seeking that they're so hungry for meaning mm-hmm. in their work. Mm-hmm. And, um, I consider that as part of my mandate is nice. to help deliver that to them. Right. And you've, and one of the things that you're really proud of, um, at Bally is doing some of the, the, um, I don't want to call it philanthropic, but it's, it's, what, what is the word that you use the, um, that you had, that you've brought to, Ballet. That's it's it's the giving back part of it, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. We wanted to create meaning at the center of the organization. And that, that means meaning for the inside, for the team inside, and meaning for the world as well, the world mm -hmm. we sell in and trade in. And so we created an umbrella organization called Valley Crafting Futures. Mm -hmm. And Valley Crafting Futures is really intended to support underprivileged youth. Um, and, uh, and so, yes, this has been an important part of the journey that we've been on uh, as a brand in the recent years. And it has been a very fulfilling part of that journey. It's, mm. it's just part of, you know, stepping into the authenticity of why are you in business, actually? What, mm. what are you trying to achieve and how does it benefit the world? Right. So I have a question as far as having the, you know, I'm just going back to this, the way you lead, the way you start with yourself and in the midst, the heat of the moments, you know, when things get tight and tense and, you know, there's big pressure on something, what is it that you do that takes you back to that, that grounded you, that keeps you in that, that flow that we've talked about? I step away if I need to. Okay. Uh, I really, I know that I, if I take care of myself, the rest will take care of itself. Okay. Um, I know that. I know that, I know that I know my business. I know that I fundamentally know my stuff. Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So that if I can speak the truth of that, then it, and continue to do it and continue to do it in the face of adversity and continue to do it even when others disbelieve and continue to do it even when there's not the immediate signal that we're on the right path or, you know, so I take care of myself. Yes. Yes. That's got to be the most, I had, um, I was interviewing, uh, another woman who is a CEO just recently. And she said to me, the most important thing she can do as a CEO is take care of herself from a mindfulness perspective, mindfulness perspective. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I completely, I completely concur. I have a steady meditation practice. Um, I, I spend a fair amount of time on a spiritual journey. And nice. uh, that is part of what gives me the, the perseverance mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because it, it takes that sometimes. <laughs> right. Right. I believe that. I totally believe that. Yeah. I think that's when things get crazy, if we can always come back to that, that home place, it, it, it's, it's what can keep us moving forward and, and creating the energy around us, you know, so that we resonate in the way that we want to. I think that's what you were describing earlier is how it carries through, you know, to your team, to the, to the, everything that you're doing, it carries through. And I love that because, um, that's a ripple ripple effect um, of change. Um, you know, if you're if you're working with your teams in a way that you're bringing that that solidness, that groundedness to the environment, they go home and they you know are living. They're they're sharing that in their own homes and their own families, and it is a ripple effect. Yeah. 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 Very good. Yeah. So what are some of the most important decisions that, that have made your career um, 
really flow for you? As you think back over the years, what were some of the, those moments where you said, okay, that was, that was really a good decision. Is there a couple of those that you can point out? Um, I, I don't know if they were big decisions, right? They were the culmination of a lot of little ones, Mm -hmm. um, that led me here. And, um, I think that part of what has led me here is to, is to always know that your reputation is the most important thing Mm. that you have in Mm -hmm. your professional life. Mm -hmm. And so whatever decisions I've made, and I've been asked to make short-term decisions for the welfare of a business. I've been asked to make long-term decisions, of course. And all of those decisions have affected people. And I... I never lose sight of the fact that the way in which I handle those decisions is actually, I'm going to be looking at that in whatever next step I take tomorrow, Mm -hmm. the day after the day after that. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be reflecting back on me. Mm -hmm. And so I, I don't take any of those decisions for granted. Right. Um, And that, so that speaks to specifically how I treat people. Yes. I can Um, hear that. I can feel that. Whether they are an employee or whether they're a business partner, if it's a business relationship I need to sever, if it's a business relationship I need to start, uh, I think that, you know, it it really is one long chain. Mm -hmm. And uh, I try to always, always remember that. Even when we have to move very quickly and we're speedy and, um, we're sometimes, we sometimes don't have the time to be as thoughtful as we'd like to be. I try always to just keep that in my mind. Okay. Um, I, I have, you know, I think a decision to really work, to really work hard. Um, and that is a daily decision of, of putting in the time and doing right. the work of the work. Right. And um, also the decision to err on the side of being transparent. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've worked in luxury most of my career, all of my career. And in that context, I've worked for a lot of European brands. Mm -hmm. I think that as Americans, we tend to be more comfortable with transparency, business transparency than, and now I'm making a big generalization, but I've worked in organizations where I'm, I, I really err on the side of being very transparent. And I know that that pushes buttons right. um, for my European counterparts, but I think it's really important because I think it's the only way that I can create the level of buy-in that I need. And for trust, the, for the right? Term, for the term, yeah, exactly, and trust. And so I think that a level of transparency, whether I'm talking to the, an, the inside constituents or the outside constituents, um, and that has to do with transparency about business and transparency, frankly, about where I'm coming from on an issue. Right. Standing in your uh, truth. Yeah. 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 
Nice. So speaking of luxury brands, let's talk about the, the, the Bally brand a little bit. I I'm actually a self-proclaimed fanatic of brand strategy. And now as I look at the Bally brand, it's, you know, really a beautiful blend of fresh and classic and innovative and kind of artsy and fun. And yet the ballet story has such an incredible heritage dating all the way back to the mid 1800s in Switzerland. Can you tell us a little bit about how you balance about the current brand strategy for ballet and ballet and how you really balance all the wonderfulness of the ballet brand and where you see it going? Sure. So as you know, Kemi, you know, yes, in fact, it is um, a very storied brand. It's actually the second oldest luxury brand after Hermes. Wow. And yeah, um, it's the only soft luxury house out of Switzerland. Switzerland is known for its watches and things that are very mechanical and precise. Um, and, and Bali um, has what is thought to be uh, the largest shoe archive in the world. It's sitting mm. in the middle of the Swiss Alps um, in, a, in a very small town called Schonenberg, where the Bally brand originated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this archive is massive. Uh, and wow. it's so it's so incredible. You you can just get lost in there for days. Is that um, is that open to people to go in and see? Or no, is that it's not it's, it's, not, a, it's not a public thing. Okay. Okay. No. Uh, we do have a Bally Museum which is open to the public, but the archive is private and it is used by our design team. Oh, interesting. Um, and I would say that the other thing that sets Bally apart is that it is the only heritage brand in the market at democratic price points. And this has been one of the places that we have evolved the brand to. Uh, the spirit of Bally was always that it was a brand for the people. Okay. And, um, and we wanted very much to respect that DNA as we evolved the positioning uh, for today's consumer. Mm-hmm. And so we think that that democratic price point is part of what makes us relevant in the landscape. Um, it says you can have a maiden, you can have beautiful quality at, an, at a reachable price point. Right. And that's very important in today's world, in my estimation. Yes. Um, so, but it hasn't just been a story of how do we change price points? Not at all. It's really been a story of how do we make this brand relevant for today's generation? And that's how what I see we, in it. Yeah, thank you. I'm so glad because it's been it's been highly rewarding work and it and it has certainly been its own path. It wasn't so easy to find that place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, brands are like people. They each have identities. They were born on a certain day and time. And um, and so you have to in order to be in order to be a curator of a brand, in order to properly hold it, you have to understand it well. You have to really get into the DNA. And then once you've done that, you need to be very thoughtful about how you express that. And that's the process we've been in for the last two and a half years. And it is so gratifying to see that our work is really changing the face of how this brand is received in the world and by the public. 
Yeah. So it's been a super gratifying journey. That's really cool. And it's, I mean, I'm I'm in the midst of rebranding my own business right now and I've done branding for most of my professional life. And, um, I, I just love to, and I, I like the way you describe this, that you get into the DNA of it and then you, how it, how the expression is born from that is so much fun. And in the words that I chose, you know, those were just my re- quick reflections, the fresh and the classic and the innovation and the art and the fun, you know, and then you weave the heritage into it. And it's like, I see, and I feel all of that. So I, I, I think it's really, um, I can see how you're making it relevant for today's time, but keeping the, you know, that foundational heritage. I think it's really amazing. Yeah. It's been, it's been a lot of fun to do as well. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's always fun to look at things as stories like that, because, you know, as all of us, as we're building brands for whatever our companies are or within our, our, our work, um, there's just, you know, when you start looking at different stories like that, it's, it's, it's really helpful, I believe. Yeah. It's been, it, it has been as much about what we don't do mm-hmm. as what we do do. In fact, it's been more about what we don't do, what we choose not to do ah, than it has been about what we choose to do. Right. And, and, as in any business, but I can only really speak about the fashion business here, there is a recipe for how you show up in the world as a luxury heritage brand and you do certain things and you do them in a certain way. And, and we've had to have a lot of courage to break that mold and to say, no, actually, we're not going to do it that way. We're going to try something different. And we'll give ourselves the permission to be in a test and learn mode, right? Uh, but that test and learn mode has been actually a very productive mode to be in. Right, right. And it does take courage to change your brand. I mean, I, even, even my brand um, at, for my company, it's been a really courageous step that I've been mm-hmm. taking. It's like, oh my God, do I let go of that? Or do I keep that? Or how do I shift this? And, you know, so it is, it is really, it can be, uh, you know, a, a place where you really do have to tap into courage. And so speaking of courage, let's, let's talk a little bit more about you. Let's take this off a of ballet and bring this back to you. And can you tell us a story when you really stepped into your courage? When I stepped into my courage. Um, yes, I can tell you a story about um, this past year. I received a notice that I was being honored. Mm-hmm. by an institution on the West Coast that I had known about for years. But I, I must tell you, it came as a complete shock. And, nice. and, um, and they said, we will present you with this award at our annual gala, and you will please make a speech. And this gala is attended by 800 people um, in L.A., and I know a thing or two about the audience, and they're very highly seated in society. And so uh, while I was thrilled to have been receiving this award and blown away, I was also very nervous thought of making a speech. So mm-hmm. as the time approaches to this presentation, um, and I'm trying to work on what am I going to say, nothing is coming. I can't, 
I can't sort of get beyond my own panic and my own sense of speaking from uh, my, as I said earlier, my personality and my ego, right? So mm-hmm. I'm struggling to find that place. And one day, I closed myself in my meditation room and I sat. And I sat for almost two hours. And what came to me was, I just, I just need to answer the question, how can I be of service to this organization? Mm-hmm. And when I speak from that place, then things will flow. And I'll tell you that speech got written in 30 minutes. Oh, I love it. And it was just, what do I need to say to be of service? Yes. And so I, I trusted that. I trusted that instinct because the instinct was, this is a big crowd. This is a very lofty group. I better sound intelligent. I bet, you know, whatever it is that goes through your mind, right? But it's right. your mind. It's your yes. mind. And it hadn't sunk into my heart. Right. And the minute I allowed it to sink into my heart, when, when they invited me to the stage, I can tell you, I stood at that podium. I was not nervous. Oh, that's I had beautiful. my speech written down. I hadn't memorized it, but I didn't need to memorize it. It no. was sitting in my heart. Right. And I just spoke to that audience. And the, I felt so, I felt like I was squeaky clean. I have no other way to describe it except that I felt like I was just so true to myself in that moment with what came out of my mouth and the way I felt standing at the podium. And the feedback I got after that talk was of people who came up to me and said, oh my God, we've never had an honoree say things like this. We've never Mm. had such a powerful or profound presentation. And it was, that was a very good lesson to me about having the courage to touch my heart and trust it. Right. Stand up in front of 800 people and trust it and and know that your heart is there. I mean, if if it's flowing from your heart um, and and, and in the service of others. And it's really interesting that you say that because I I actually had a huge fear of public speaking um, 10 years ago. And I had to get mm-hmm. over it. Uh, you know, I as having my own business, I really had to get over it. And right. um, the the thing that snapped it for me was exactly what you said. It was when I decide, when I really got got out of my head of it's about me and to it's all about these people in the room, and how can I help them? How can I be of service to them? It changed everything for me, and mm-hmm. it was that 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 shift in the dial, if you will that now I absolutely love it. I love to speak to, to, to people and it's, um, but it, I had to, to do that. So I love, I love your story. Thank you for that. Yeah. So, so how do you measure your own success? You've been very successful, but you know, what, what is your personal ruler for success? Um, first and foremost, I think it's my relationship with my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I'm very blessed. He's an amazing person, and I love him so dearly. And that is really when that relationship works, when 
when I am the most vulnerable I can be, when I am present for him and present for us, like that is my biggest marker of success in my life. Set aside my career. If I think about the scope of my life, it's that relationship. It's that relationship where I work through the most, where I learn the most, where I'm challenged the most. And so that is first and foremost. And, and how then, do you, and on yeah. that, Claudia, how do you, um, in the midst as a, as a busy CEO, how do you ensure, what are some of the things that you do to ensure that that most important thing in your life has the space and time and focus it needs? Um, I just, it's, it's come down to little practices. It's making sure I pick up the phone twice a day. Even it's literally these conversations are a minute, a minute and a half. Mm -hmm. It's just to hear his voice for him to mm -hmm. hear mine, check in. It is, uh, I'm moving through an airport after a business trip and I stop and I pick up a little gift and I'll set it under his pillow or I'll stick it in his closet and I'll just wait for him to discover it. And it is really, it's not a big deal. Yes. But it is these little physical manifestations oh, that big... show him how much I'm thinking about him and how much he means to me. They have to be, they have to be physical manifestations. Or at least they have to be, they have to manifest. It's not enough that I hold him in my heart. That's great. Right. And and I know he knows that, but it's not always enough in our busy, chaotic, noisy lives that where we need support. We all need support from the people we love. Right. And right. so I need so it's those things. It's a little it's a card for no reason. It's bringing home a flower or a bouquet of flowers. It's yeah. little things. Oh, I love it. It's making me smile all over. It just it feels because it, and it gives me great ideas. It's like, oh my God, I need to do more of that. So thank you for that. I can't cook dinner. That's just not, <laughs> <laughs> that's not a way I can show up. So I got to find others. Well, it's funny. My, my husband's actually the chef in our family. He went to culinary school years ago and, oh, uh, and he's, he, he doesn't do it professionally, but I'm very lucky that he's, he's the culinary one in our household. So I appreciate that. Um, but I, I love the ideas of, of, of how you're just cog cognizant of, you know, make the effort to do these small little things on a regular basis and, and, and all the energy that that builds up. So that's fantastic. What else does a successful life look like, like to you? Oh, my ability to give back. Yeah. My ability to give back, whether it's to an organization and to, be consistent in my support. So it's being able to support people in need um, and be able to support the people that are around me. And, you know, I think about my own employees. Um, right. So those, those things uh, awesome. feel like they build a successful life. And then I would also put in there my ability to stay close to my own spiritual journey. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So knowing that part of what makes us special are our contradictions, what is one of yours and how does it show up in your life? <laughs> I love this question. <laughs> well, I would say that, as you can imagine, part of my role is that I have to be very front-facing. I have to be very public. 
I have to, I, I'm expected to be very social. Uh, and yet, at the heart of it, the opposite is true for me. I'm a very private person. I love nothing more than on a Sunday being at home in my garden with my husband. Like, I can't tell you, it is like such a contradiction. I'm, I always love to be in the presence of others. So I don't, it's not that it's always a struggle. It's just that it's not where I naturally would go. I wouldn't naturally go into the spotlight. I wouldn't naturally go to the cocktail party. Um, and, and so that, I think, is like one of the ways in which my role is constantly just tugging on me and nudging me to show up. Yes. Yes. And yeah. I totally understand that because, because I certainly need my quiet, my space, that, that time where I can really just be in my home, in my, my sanctuary, if you will. Um, and there's the other, you know, that public facing part of us. So I, I like that contradiction and I like, you know, and I think it's really important for us to be able to have both sides of that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I remember once I was, um, I was a, t a leading candidate for a role, and they had me do the Myers-Briggs assessment mm -hmm. before they would present the offer. And it was, a, it was a role I really wanted. And anyway, one of the questions on that test was, when you, it was something like, when you need when you need to be refueled, do you, do you tend to cocoon and go inward or do you like attend a party and go right. outward and get, right. get refueled from other people? And I had to be honest and say, actually, no. Yeah. <laughs> and after I answered that question, I thought, huh, I wonder. But, you know, at the end of the day, we have to be true to ourselves. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Well, it is the honest, and there's nothing wrong with that answer. I think that knowing if we know that truth about ourselves, we can refuel the way we need to refuel, and then we can go, we can go shine our light in the bright ways that we need to. But we need to be able to refuel in a way that is true to us. Otherwise, it doesn't. Otherwise, we're not really showing up as ourselves, or we're showing trying to show up as a, a persona, if you will. That's right, Kenny, and it took me years to figure that out, that being who I was was just fine. It took I me years to figure that yeah. out, too, so oh. <laughs> <laughs> a great lesson along the way, right? Yeah. Yes. So um, what has been the hardest experience you've ever been through, and how has it changed you? Oh, um, so I... When I was 19 years old, I was diagnosed with lupus. Okay. And it's a disease that I um, struggled with. Many years of my young life, I really earnestly struggled. Um, I was in and out of hospital. I was quite uh, ill. Um, and out of the blue, about two years ago, um, I received a phone call from my doctor very early in the morning after I had just gone in for a round of bloods. And um, he, he said, You're, I, I need you to get yourself to the emergency room at NYU right oh, wow. away. Wow. 
so I went and I was tested and they, they tested me some more. They couldn't figure out what was wrong. Nonetheless, they discovered that I had a very rare blood disorder and that uh, I was really, I, I, they had caught it so late that I was really at risk. Uh, and they were struggling to figure out how to get this situation under control. And um, I, they almost didn't. And um, I, I was in the intensive care unit one night and they were about to do a procedure that if it failed, I wouldn't come out of. Oh, wow. And I, uh, I said goodbye to my husband. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, I remember, I remember very oddly being completely at peace, except for the fact that I wasn't going to be around to enjoy him some more. Mm-hmm. I remember feeling this sense of being completely at peace. I did obviously come out of that, uh, that operation, and I went through three months, three grueling, grueling months personally. But what that did for me, what that experience did for me is that it really informed me about, about the inherent fleeting nature of our own lives. And um, it was it was a really precious experience. In as right. painful as it was, it was one of the most beautiful reminders. Uh, and it, I think about it all the time. It kind of has stayed with me. It's not even that I think about it. It's just kind of now part of me, if you will. Right. And uh, so yes. Uh, uh, coming out of that, I, I made a decision to rededicate myself to the things in my life that are really valuable to me. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And it's, and it's, um, that, thank you for sharing that. And it's, um, when we start to realize that, you know, when we put the thought on to life can be short and we can make a difference with our lives in any given period of time that we have on this earth, um, it does change how we choose to spend our time, where we put our energy. Um, so I'm, sh- I'm, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think that the idea of death is very cerebral for most of us and mm-hmm. very out in the future, and it's not something for obvious reasons that we prefer to touch. And it's only when you come that close to it that it touches your heart. You, here I am again talking about the heart, but it's only when it really touches you that then it's not cerebral anymore, but then it's, now it's a part of you. And many people who have had near-death experiences, I think, report similar, similar uh, impacts to their lives. And I think it's a real, it's a very positive impact, right. actually, of having been through an experience like Right. As scary as the, the experience yeah, was in the absolutely. moment, sure. on, on the flip side of it, 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 it just gives you, you see through a different lens, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. So th- this has been just awesome. And what I'd like to close our interview off with is what three pearls of wisdom can you share with our audience today? Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> <gasps> you know, I think that in the context of being a leader, a female leader, Mm-hmm. And, you know, Kami, you touched on this through your own experience, is this idea of 
not losing yourself. It is right. so easy to lose yourself in a corporate setting where you feel pressures to to be part of something or to not disagree or to not be the contradictory one, you know, uh, just to not lose yourself. And, and it takes never... work, right? I mean, oh, I think that's what you, work, right? what you were talking about early on. It's every day you're in that space and that inner work that you do to not lose yourself. You have to do that work. Yeah. You really, you really do. And you have to believe in yourself. You just have to know that, that you're, you're so precious. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You're so precious and you so deserve to sit in that preciousness. And, you know, it's easy to say. Uh, yes. And I would say that the second lesson is, is that the more inner work I do, the more I'm able to show up for as authentically me. Yes. It becomes effortless. The more mm-hmm. inner work I do, the more effortless it becomes to just show up. Mm, I um, like that. And I think just come from your heart. The world needs so much love. We need so much love. Right. Yeah. Yes. That's beautiful. Well, Claudia, it's been a pleasure. I love hearing all your stories and your wisdom. Thank you for sharing that with us today. And if you ever get back to Colorado again, um, look me up and let's, let's get together and we'll, we'll go on another walking, talking meditation walk. I will look forward to that, Cammie. Thank you so much. Thanks, Claudia. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. I hope you liked this episode of Extraordinary Women Radio. If you did, please share this podcast with your own special tribe of women and help spread the love, the dreams, and the inspiration. Are you thinking about making the next bold move in your life? I invite you to take the Your Next Bold Move quiz at CammieGellner.com to find out how you can jumpstart a passionate and meaningful next chapter. You may also enjoy my book, Fire Dancer, Your Spiral Journey to a Life of Passion and Purpose, which is available on Amazon. In Fire Dancer, you will become intimately connected to your heart's calling and build the courage and resiliency to ignite your what's next. I'd love to hear from you on any of my social media channels. I'm on both Facebook and Twitter, and the links are available on my website. Until next time, my friend, listen to your heart, follow your dreams, and be you.